Merry Christmas. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we do do a, uh, a pageant every Sunday. We're just working through Luke. So if you come next week, the kids will be back up in the next passage, which begins like this. And at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. And I'm so funny. Um, good job to the kids who are still in here and Andrea and Bart and everybody who made that happen. And thank you guys, church, again, for the gifts you gave us last week. Super sweet. Um, we really did. Me and Amanda and Nathan and Meredith and Ben and Megan talk about it all day. And I've been showing off my keychain to everybody. If I haven't shown it off to you, then I don't know how I've missed you, but I've been showing it off to like my family all week. So that was an awesome idea, whoever came up with that. So thank you for that. Um, we are going to be short on time today, so I want to get right into our passage. We have been studying Philippians as a church, working through it verse by verse. Uh, this week, we're going to take a break, but we're going to stay in Philippians for just a minute. We're just going to skip ahead and use that as a launching pad for today's Christmas sermon. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning in worship. Thank you for allowing us to gather to celebrate the birth of your son. Thank you for Andrea and Bart and the kids for their joy and excitement. Pray that we would be like children this morning as we come to your word soft, tender of heart, meek and humble, and ready to receive what you have for us. As we enter into a week of feasting and celebration, we're especially mindful of those enduring hardship. We do lift up to you the families and communities in Kentucky that have suffered, those who have lost loved ones and homes and cars and businesses. Pray that you'd be near to them and that you'd provide for them and that you would use us to minister your love to them. We pray that as our community goes into a celebration of Christmas with lights and packages and presents and fudge and cookies and candy, that you would draw our friends and our neighbors and our families and our coworkers to the Christ who came to save us from our sins. We pray that you would use each one of us here to do that. Pray that you would give us opportunities to bear witness to the greatness of what you have done, and that you would give us the courage to be faithful with those opportunities trusting that they're from you, and that you intend to work through them. Be with us this morning as we study your word. Make our hearts humble. Make my words faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question to ask this morning, right out of the gate. If you could get real with me for a minute, what is it that you dread most about the coming week? What is it that you are least looking forward to? It's easy to look forward to the big, fun, cool things, right? What are you least looking forward to this next week? 
What makes you most anxious? Jessica, I think, has an answer for that. <laughs> Going to work. <laughs> Not having the week off. What makes, you, what makes you most anxious about this next week? Missing your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas is supposed to be fun, but sometimes it's hard, right? Having the empty place at the table is hard. There are a lot of joys at Christmas, and there are also a lot of pains and sorrows. Kids home from school, kids away, traveling, family in and out of town, drama, missing seats at the table, expectations that everybody has, that we place on ourselves, that other people place on us, that the culture places on us. Today's passage is about dealing with anxiety. And in it, we're told to be anxious for some things, only the big things, only the little things, not to be anxious about anything, are we? Not a single thing. Christmas is the time we celebrate our Savior who came to save us from sin and death to make peace between us and God. And yet for many of us, Christmas can be the most anxiety-inducing time of the year, can't it? We all have our own expectations for what Christmas should be. Some of them are formed by Hallmark movies or Christmas specials. The perfect Christmas with the perfect presents, with the perfect ribbons and bows beneath the perfect tree, and the kids all around the tree, not whining, but really grateful and excited about all the gifts they've got. And it definitely snows, and there's a white Christmas, but not so much snow that we can't drive to grandma's house safely, right? We have an image in our minds of what Christmas perfection is. Everybody does. And it feels magical and warm, and it glows, And it's never quite like that, is it? It's never quite like that. For some of you, it's going to drive you insane. You're going to be working hard to make it like that. It'd be like uh, Sisyphus, the Greek dude, you know, he rolls the ball up the hill. And then every time he gets to the top, it rolls back down. There's always something. He can never quite make it to that level of perfection. He can never quite get to the point where his expectations are met. I think as a church, we have a lot of people who are pretty good at being chill about that sort of thing, um, at loving the mess of real life. I think um, our church is a, a church of people that have uh, embraced the chaos of real life. It's one of the things that we love about each other and about coming together. It's like, we, we can be real here. We can be raw. We don't have to put up the veneer of perfection. And that's part of like what draws us together. But still at Christmas time, That pressure gets to some of us, right? Maybe to a lot of us. So some of us, even the best of us at living with the tension and the pain and the drama and the imperfection, have to be told at Christmas time to live with the imperfection and tension. We're here because we've rejected the phony standards of perfection and all that sort of thing, the veneer, right? We want something authentic and real. And yet it's Christmas, and so we also want it to be perfect. So if you're the kind of person who is going to burst a blood vessel because the turkey burns or the cookies burn, or you don't find the perfect gift, or everything doesn't come together perfectly, this morning's sermon's for you. And it's also for you if you're just trying to navigate it all humbly and sweetly in a godly way and live with the tension, okay? 
Christmas is an emotional time, a time for family, and it amplifies the deeper realities of our lives. The realities of our families, the brokenness in our families, the realities of our children, the realities of our estranged family members, places where sin has made it hard, hard to talk to one another without anger or bitterness or resentment, hard to even be in the same room with some people, much less have the ability to be happy and have a jolly time around the dinner table, or the reality of death, the empty place at the table, the shadow of Paul that hangs over everything for some of us, for many of us, for most of us one way or another, or the reality of a broken home, having to have two Christmases instead of one. You tell yourself, yay, two Christmases, double presents, but also, man, just amplifies all the pain, having to live between the tension of mom and dad. Sin, sorrow, and death. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. This holiday season for us uh, is surrounded by death, personally for us, for my family, as it is for many of you. We've buried a lot of friends in the past year, past year and a half, more than we expected to. And so much of what makes Christmas memory special are our parents, our grandparents. In the last several years, both my mom's parents have died, my dad's dad has died, my stepmom's dad has died. This is probably my last Christmas with my grandma. It's hard. My best memories are with those people. And so it's sad. Some things are expected. Other things are not expected. There are families all across Kentucky this morning who lost everything over the last couple of weeks. I have a friend who lost his grandma in a tornado, wasn't expecting to not have Christmas with grandma this year. And that's the reality with all of our lives all of the time. Our circumstances are never fully under our control. They only ever seem that way. And it can become apparent in the face of a tragedy like a tornado. It also becomes apparent at Christmas, maybe more than any other time of the year. Because on the one hand, you have these absurd, out-of-this-world expectations. And all of the things that we do to contrive to make it all work. And then we have the reality that it never works. We pin our happiness to everything going perfectly, and then so much of everything stands outside of our control. Okay, am I trying to be Scrooge? (laughs) Am I trying to be a Debbie Downer? I hope I'm just trying to give us all a chance to be real and honest and realistic. I know some of us have much less baggage than others. Some of us just have good families and good in-laws, and Christmas has always been magical, and we're able to give that magic to our kids. I also know that all of us have baggage of some type. But maybe some of you aren't feeling a lot of pressure. That's okay. The rest of us just hate you and your perfect lives and everything else about you. No, we'll, we'll come back to you special people at the end. But I do want to speak first to those who, of us who do have and feel that pressure right in front of us at Christmas time. Whether it's sin, whether it's death, whether it's bad toxic family, whatever. And I want to remind us this morning that it's never about our circumstances. Not really. It's not really about death and people and cookies and fudge and mom and dad and brother or sister. Problem is never out there. If we've learned anything since we've been together as a church studying the Sermon on the Mount, studying through Proverbs, working through Philippians together, 
It's that. Problem isn't out there, it's in here. Yeah, some of those things out there are sad and hard and painful, difficult. The world is hard and imperfect. It's tainted by sin. But ultimately, the problem is not with our circumstances. It's with us. It's with our hearts. It's with how we respond to those circumstances. Do we have and know the peace of God? God says to us to not be anxious about anything. And we tend to think about that applying to the big things. Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Even death, don't be anxious about. But anything also includes the little things that we give ourselves permission to be anxious about. Instead of being anxious, we're to give thanks and to pray and to set our minds on whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And the reason I keep circling around this this morning is because at Christmas time, God's people get bent out of shape, celebrating the one thing they should never, ever, ever be bent out of shape about. The one thing that makes the least sense for those who know Jesus to be uptight and anxious about. It's the birth of Jesus, which is exactly the sort of honorable, pure, lovely, commendable thing that every time we think about it ought to free us from our anxieties. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, because we're going to obey the Apostle Paul here in Philippians, who commands us to think about things that are commendable and honorable and beautiful. And we're going to focus on the Christmas story. We're going to think on these things. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now let's stop right here and think about the context. What do you think? Put yourself in Mary's shoes. What do you think Mary envisioned her life would be like before the angel showed up? What do, you think it, what do you think she imagined? She was engaged to Joseph. He was a nice man, a good catch. Somebody got my fiddler on the roof reference. Thanks, Cynthia. She's engaged to Joseph. What was the life that she imagined? What was the life she expected? What was the life she hoped for? Ladies, what did you imagine when you were a little girl? Maybe she thought she was going to have her special day and all her friends and family would be there. She'd be all prettied up and everyone would congratulate her and Joseph. And then what would they do? Start a family, live a quiet, peaceful, and happy life together, 
Joseph the carpenter, Mary keeping house and taking care of the babies, growing old together, dying surrounded by grandchildren, great-grandchildren. What about Joseph? Men, what did Joseph expect? What was Joseph hoping for? He was going to get to marry this beautiful girl. They were going to be happy. They were going to have kids together. He was going to do hard work. His respectability as he grew and matured would rise and rise in the community. He wouldn't be a single man anymore. He'd be married. He'd be a man with children. He'd pass on his trade to them. And then what happened? What happened? God. God happened. God came and interrupted their perfect plan. He had his own plan. He had his own timetable. Man, isn't that how our marriages worked out after all for many of us? God had his own plan. No, Mary. Sorry. You're going to be pregnant before you and Joseph get married. Before you come together. Everyone is going to think that you're an immoral woman. Everyone. And that reputation is never going to leave you. So when your son is in his 30s in Jerusalem... People are going to know him as the illegitimate child of Joseph and Mary. You're never going to live that down. Joseph, no one is going to respect you for how you handle this situation. No one. They're going to think that you got her pregnant, or they're going to think that somebody else did and that you're covering it up. In any case, that looks pretty weak. That reputation is going to follow you for the rest of your life. How's that look? Does it look like the awesome, perfect Christmas If you were Joseph and Mary, what would you have wanted to do next? Okay, Mary's pregnant. God has spoken to us. Can we keep this quiet? Can we have the baby at home? Can we make this a small thing? Can we be surrounded by the family that will accept us? Well, actually, because of some ancient prophecy, Caesar's going to send out a decree. You're not even going to be able to have the baby in your hometown. You're going to have to go to a strange place. You're going to have to give birth in a strange city. Not in a place that's comfortable. You're going to have to go be among the animals. You're going to have to lay the baby in a feeding trough. That's everybody's birth plan, right? Go to stable, give birth among the animals, lay baby in feeding trough. And then what happens? Well, do they get to go back home? That's not what happens. They don't even get to go back home. An angel comes and says, yep, they're trying to kill him. They're looking for your son. They're going to kill him. You have to go to Egypt and hide. So much for going back to your job. So much for going back to your life. Live like a sojourner, a stranger in a strange land. So much for settling in. Mary and Joseph, this baby is the son of God himself, clothed in mortal flesh. The little hand that's reaching up that cannot reach to touch the animals is the hand that made the universe. He's come to free his people from his sin, and no one is going to know or understand that this is what's happened to you. And when they finally do begin to understand and realize why he's here, they're going to hate him, and they're going to kill him. He's going to be put to death by the hands he made to do his work. He's going to be spat on and mocked by the mouths he made for his own praise. He's doing that so he can declare once for all peace on earth goodwill toward men with whom he is pleased, just like the angels sing. The angels are right. But the peace we declare is not a peace that depends on the circumstances of our lives. It's one that transcends them. It's the peace of God. 
that comes from peace with God. How were Joseph and Mary able to endure all those things? They were right with God, and God was on their side when it looked like maybe nobody else was. Welcome to the first Christmas. A horrible, sad, broken, glorious, beautiful mess. This is how God works. Not through giving us the circumstances we want or hope or dream for, but by giving us the power through his son to rise above them, to have peace in the midst of them, no matter how horrible things are, to see the glory hidden in the manger, to see the beautiful mystery of a king who's born as a peasant, born to live a life of obscurity, hailed not by kings and royalty, but by shepherds, hunted by the kings and the priests, hated by the proud, loved by the poor and the weak and the sinners stooping into a broken world and getting lower than all of us so that he could raise all of us up to God, so that he could make peace between us and God through the blood of his sacrifice on the cross. So this morning, the question is, do you know this peace? It's the only way to deal with the realities of our lives, our own sin that we carry our guilty consciences about before God all the realities we uh, seek to escape from that we work to cover up and bury and wrap up in our Christmas presents and tie up with sentimental bows and drown in the whiskey we dump into our eggnog, sin, death, sorrow. In Christ, in Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. Forgiven. In Christ, death dies. In Christ, our sorrows are swallowed up. Not that they aren't, they aren't real still. Sin still exists. Death still exists. Sorrows still exist, but death has lost its sting. Our sorrows are just for a moment. Our sins died the moment they were nailed to the cross. So there is hope, peace on earth, goodwill toward men who turn from their sin and embrace the humility and the grace and the glory of their Savior. There's only one way to approach Christmas, and it's not as a perfectionist trying to get everything perfect and right, and then it'll every, all feel beautiful and magical. It's as a sinner who needs a Savior. If you can pro- approach Christmas as a sinner who needs a Savior, you're going to find the hope and peace that you need this Christmas. And you won't waste too much time fretting over burned cookies or family drama. You'll be the rock that your family needs because you're trusting in the rock that's Christ. If you approach Christmas trying to maintain control over things you can't control, trying to maintain an illusion of perfection, you will fail. And you're going to make yourself and everyone else around you miserable. So don't do that. Don't do it. That's dumb. Remember Christmas. (laughs) Remember Jesus in a, a God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in a feeding trough. It's a joke. Like it, it should kind of almost make us laugh. Like the disparity between who he is and what he looks like is ridiculous and beautiful, wonderful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. We have so much to be thankful for, starting with forgiveness of sins. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things. When you're tempted to stress about dumb things, when you're about to cry because you burn the cookies, think on these things. Think on these things when you're tempted to turn to false comforts and to check out. When you're tempted to be overwhelmed and consumed by family drama and unmet expectations, think, think on these things. Remember Mary and Joseph. Remember the baby in the manger who came to save you from your sin and give thanks and pray and be at peace with God and men. So if you feel pressure at Christmas of any kind, that's my word to you. And if you're one of those people that the rest of us hate, here's my word to you. If you have it together and you feel like you can approach Christmas with faith and joy and your family's together and it works, remember somebody this week that needs to be loved by you. Even today after this service, there are people to notice who are going to be in pain as they think about what Christmas means for their family. There are people that may not have a place to go on the 25th of December and you have something to welcome them into, something to share, something to give. I realize most of us have our plans for Christmas more or less set. It'll look different for each one of us, but it's never too late to remind us that if God has given you strength, it is meant to be used to help those who are weak. If God's given you a whole family, there are those that don't have that, that you can welcome in, and it will be healing to them even if it's messy. God's given you the gift of good cheer. There are people who need to be cheered up and strengthened and pulled out of their despair. So notice each other. Be Jesus to each other this morning and this week or this afternoon, I guess. I think that's what the big, nope. I get so confused about the times. It's only after 11. Be Jesus to each other. Think about each other. Jesus was whole. Jesus was perfect. Jesus got low. You can too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to be low, to stoop to us at the point of our pain and weakness and sin. We pray this morning that you would draw our hearts to you that you would give us faith, that you would help us to give thanks and to rejoice in the forgiveness of sins, and that you would help us to love others as we have been loved. In Jesus' name, amen.